Daniel chapter 1, we'll begin reading verse 8. Once you find it, go ahead and stand and we'll jump in tonight. Daniel chapter 1, verse 8. There's another angle I'd like to look at from this text. And I mean, and we have to understand the text says what it says. It's not like there are multiple interpretations, but there are multiple applications. And, and so many applications at times that you feel it's worthy to go back and focus again on the same text so you can focus again on a different application. That's what tonight really is, is I'd like to focus on a different application outside of, you know, you think about this, outside of our time at home, most, most of our week, most of our time is spent working. And, and I, I know that some work from home, and so maybe this doesn't apply as much to you, but and maybe some moms stay home, but I know for sure you're working. Um, but for most of us, if you think about this, for most of us, we'll spend mo- much of our adult lives at work. And most of us don't get to choose who we work with. We don't get to necessarily choose the things we're exposed to. It just kind of happens to us. And, and if you know, I mean, if you're working in a secular environment, would you say that that's true at times? Okay. Um, so notice then some of the similarities between that and what Daniel faced. And that, that's kind of what I, the angle I want to come at from in this text tonight. Daniel chapter 8, it says, But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs, And the prince of the eunuchs said unto Daniel, I fear my lord the king who hath appointed your meat and your drink. For why should he see your faces worse liking than the children which are of your sort? Then shall ye make me endanger my head to the king. It's valid. Then said Daniel to Melzar, whom the prince of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, prove thy servants, I beseech thee, ten days... And let them give us pulse to eat and water to drink. Then let our countenances be looked upon before thee. And the countenance of the children that eat of the portion of the king's meat. And as thou seest, deal with thy servants. So he consented them in this matter and proved them ten days. And at the end of ten days, their countenances appeared fairer and fatter in flesh than all the children which did eat the portion of the king's meat. Thus Melzar took away the portion of their meat... And the wine that they should drink and gave them pulse. And we know the end, the result, the reward of their stand for God. As for these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill in all learning and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now at the end of the days that the king had said that he should bring them in, then the prince of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king communed with them. And among them all was found none like Daniel... Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, therefore stood they before the king, and in all matters of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers that were in all his realm, and Daniel continued even unto the first year of King Cyrus. Tonight, Daniel, I'd like to look at the situation Daniel's in that he had no control over. He didn't get to choose who he spent his time around, but he did the best he could. And it's a little surprising, I think, if when you think about it, how many similarities there are between Daniel's stand and a Christian's stand in the workplace. And I'd like to focus on that thought tonight. I know it's a very specific application, but there are some things I really, I'd like to bring out tonight and hopefully it'll be a help. Let's pray and ask God to bless our time. Lord, uh, I need you. We all need you. I'm thankful uh, for the truth, but I pray that you'd help us, our minds and hearts to be attentive and focused. And I pray that you would uh, just help us each to apply these things in areas um, that, that, and maybe for some areas that don't really apply necessarily, but I do know there is truth in your word. And if we are open to your Holy Spirit's prompting and the leading of, in the word, that you can help us apply these truths in any area. And I pray that you do that tonight, that you'd make up for what I lack in my application and maybe even at times what we lack in our imagination 
the, 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 the filling in of the gaps or the connecting of the dots. Help us to do that tonight, Lord. We need you. We need your, your spirit to refresh us. We need your word to be alive this evening. So we ask for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. How many of you remember, and this may be for some of the older folks, how many of you remember your first job? Okay. Um, so somebody tell me your first job. Anybody have a unique first job experience? Yes. Your bell ringer for the Salvation Army. Uh, no wonder I avoid Miss Dawn every time she walks down the hallway. Like, whoo, around. No. no who, who else? Yes, Sherilyn. Picking cucumbers, right? That's that's exciting. Yeah, cucumbers. Yes, yeah, brother Mike. Dishwasher at a restaurant. How many of you started in a restaurant washing dishes or something like that? Okay, all right, Miss Mary. A car hop for a dry cleaner. Yep. Okay, Mia. Say it again. Taking care of your tomatoes. I like that. Yep, brother Dana. Okay, wow. They were a lot bigger back then, right? Yeah, that's right. It's like moving a grand piano, you know? Yes, Colin. A paper boy, all right. Molly, did you have a first job? Yes. Take care of the birds, all right. That's an important job, yes. Walk in the beans, is that what you said? Okay. Yep, absolutely. Okay, Kath. Walking beans, that's right. That's what he did. Well, it's, we're talking about pulse tonight, veggies. So, I mean, that applies. Yes, uh, James. A what? A pie factory. Wow, that would have been interesting. Yeah, I'm sure it was. One for you, one for me. Yes, Keith. What was that? A cotton picker? Rock. Oh, sure. Okay. All right. Okay. I didn't. I was like, I didn't know you grew up in the South. You know. Okay. Yes. What is it? Property maintenance with your dad. I can see that. Yes, Shelby. Mowing lawns. Yep. Okay, Jonathan. You broke. Oh, broke in horses. I thought you were saying you broke horses. Like <laughs> broke horses. That too. Yeah. We all have. Now I'm gonna just. And this isn't necessarily a word I would normally say from the pulpit, but I hope you'll give me some. That's scary, isn't it? <laughs> My first job, I worked at a dog kennel. I didn't train the dogs. Um, they gave I, My first day of the job, they gave me a bucket <laughs> and a scooper. And I walked to the yards, and I was a pooper scooper, okay? I'm just going to say it. I don't normally say that word from the pulpit. That was my first job. And, and you know, so from there, I, I, I then worked, I cleaned windows. That was a, definitely a step up. Um, then from there, I went, I worked at Subway. I washed my hands. It's okay. Worked at Subway. After that, not on the same day. Then I worked at Radio Shack in college. Then I worked at a hotel in college. Then I worked at DHL. Uh, delivering packages in college, always taking a step up. Then I got into the ministry and I thought, you know, now I'm pastoring. I've really stepped up in this until last week I was walking the yard and I had to stop and pick up somebody's dog mess because they think our property is a dog park. So I was like, man, everything has come full circle now. Back to doing what I used to do. You know, we all start somewhere small and, 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 and there have been plenty of jobs though that in the workplace, the job that I had, I, didn't, I, I would have probably not chosen to be with the people that I was working with. How many of you can, re don't raise your hand, Judy. How many of you can relate to that, that you would not have chosen to work with the people that you work with? I mean, there are times where it's hard, isn't it? And there are times, and not just in personality, but, but I'm also meaning in terms of if you are a child of God, if you're a Christian, you get placed in a situation, placed in an environment that you didn't choose around people that you wouldn't probably even pick to be around every day. But sometimes you find yourself in a situation you just have to do the best you can. And there's a mess and you have to do your best. And the people are, are, are not nice and you have to try to be nice back. And the people don't have ethics or they don't do things 
the right way or they cut corners and you just have to do right. I'm telling you uh, that in our life there will be many situations that we find ourselves in that we wouldn't necessarily pick the situation. We wouldn't pick the environment. We wouldn't even maybe even pick the people. But we're there and we have to do the best we can. And there's some things in Daniel's life uh, because really I know that this isn't his job but in many ways it's very similar to the situations we might find ourselves in. He didn't choose this. Uh, he was around people that didn't believe like him. He was around people that were watching him. At times we know later they were trying to catch him in things. And yet I'd like to just look at the way he handled himself and apply this to many of us who work in situations that, that aren't necessarily ideal, but we have to do the best we can. We know that Daniel purposed in his heart, in that first word there in verse 8, it says, but Daniel. And, and, and I point that out because in contrast to the norm, most of the guys around Daniel and his friends, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, um, it what became their Babylon names, but around Daniel and his friends, most of the guys weren't doing what they were doing. Most of the guys around them, most of the children of Israel uh, or Judah that had been brought to Babylon, they were going with the flow. And, and here he is, he and his friends are going to have to take, take a stand and compare themselves with those that are just eating the king's meat and wine. And it doesn't make a lot of sense that, that it's going to turn out well for them. But it says, but in contrast to everybody else, what they were doing, Daniel purposed. And we've talked about purposing, how purposing in your heart is an inner conviction. And that you may hold some beliefs, but your convictions hold you. That your, your convictions are stronger than just something that you assent to. Your convictions are things that you live by. And whether or not we understand or know or acknowledge this, we all have life principles that we live by. We all have convictions that we live by. Daniel's character, it's interesting, his character was already formed for following God before this test showed up. Meaning that his parents had raised him with a mindset that God should come first no matter the situation. Because this doesn't just happen in young people. If you've raised young people, we've got some good young people, good young men, good young ladies in this group right here. But, but if, we have, if we don't raise them with the mindset that God comes first, I'm telling you, it is the rare situation that a young person will just put God first. I really believe that Daniel's parents have raised him with the mindset that God comes first no matter the situation. And then when this test comes along, he's already made his mind up. He's going to stand for God and he's going to do right. You know, there, there comes a time when all of us have to, there's a battle. We talked about this at Men's Advance in Oklahoma this year, that there's a battle be, between prior commitment and our current emotion. There are many times where we make commitments in our lives and you may even make a commitment. Maybe you made a commitment at Missions Revival. Maybe you made a commitment uh, last week in a message or this morning in a message. You make a commitment and in the moment the light has been shined on you. You've seen yourself for what you are. You acknowledge that you need to make some changes. You might even respond and come make a decision you might even write down the things that God has prompted you to think about. And in the moment, that commitment is very real. But then tomorrow morning, if your commitment maybe was to read your Bible at 6.30 every morning, that commitment's great today, but tomorrow morning, in your current emotion, when you wake up, you're not going to feel like reading your Bible. And suddenly there's a battle, and it's going on between your prior commitments and your current emotions. And very often, if we haven't made those commitments a conviction in our life, the current emotion typically wins out. Our current emotions are typically stronger than our prior commitments. But here's Daniel. He's made a commitment. He's, he has a conviction. And he will not let the current emotions win out. He says, I purpose in my heart not to defile myself with the king's meat. I think it's wonderful that this young man has a desire for holiness and his desire for holiness is greater than his desire for good food. I mean, that's, if you know teenage boys, that's a, that might be a miracle, actually. 
His desire for holiness is greater than his desire for good food. Forbidden food, though, this is a temptation. And it's also, it's a threat to his holiness. See, God is a holy God. And Brother Jeremy Jacob, he's preaching out, by the way, tonight in a church down in Ottawa, Iowa. Pray for Brother Jeremy down there preaching and for their families. They travel back tonight. But, but he's been talking in Leviticus about holiness. And that's a big part of holiness in the book of Leviticus. And we, though, if, we are, if he is our God and we are his people, then we ought to reflect his holiness. And the culture is trying to influence us. If we're not careful, then our default will mean that we look more like the culture than we do someone, someone representing God's kingdom. It's very easy to let the culture influence us to the point where we reflect our culture more than God's kingdom. If you don't take a, pur a purposeful stand, the culture will impact your holiness. I don't care how strong you are. I don't care how much, how protected you are. If you don't take a purposeful stand, you will be affected by it. And so when's the last time you made a commitment to holiness? I mean, we think, well, holiness is one of those words. It's one of those, uh, those old Christian character traits that isn't just popular anymore or something. And, and so it's not really a priority for me. But listen, if God is anything, he is holy. And as a holy God, we are his people. We reflect him. And, and we ought to make a commitment to holiness. Listen, it takes resolution to live by Romans 12, 1 and 2, which you know it. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. What's the next word? Holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And it says, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Listen, the world, that word conformed is a mold. And the world is trying to take you and fit you into a mold that looks like it. And our Babylon is, is our culture. It's trying to do everything it can to make, it, make us look like it and talk like it and think like it. But Paul says holiness means we let God mold us by transforming our mind and living out his will instead of letting the culture mold us. Renewing our minds is the same as purposing in our hearts. So we have a call to purpose in our hearts to holiness. Our heart is the seat of the mind, will, and emotions. And the world wants us to look like Babylon and wants to squeeze us into, into its image. It's like Play-Doh. You know, and there was something so satisfying, right, about taking Play-Doh and putting it through one of those presses and it comes out like the shape of a star or something. I mean, there's something really satisfying about that. That's what the world's trying to do to you. It has a template. It has a press. I mean, the, by the way, the only thing more satisfying than squeezing Play-Doh like that was eating it. But don't tell anybody it happened. So, no, we choose the mold that gets placed on our lives. You choose if it's, God, if it's a kingdom mold or if it's a culture mold. And we need more of God's people to decide to shape us after holiness instead of Babylon. Daniel knew if he didn't make a determined decision that he wouldn't be one of the he would be one of the many others who simply fit the culture's mold and almost everybody else did except him and his four friends. He said not to defile myself. That's what I'm going to do. I want to stand to not defile. That means to pollute or stain. You know, it doesn't take much to pollute your life. It doesn't take much to stain. It takes, I mean, you, if you've ever washed clothes and there was one little marker in somebody's pocket, you know, it doesn't take much to stain everything. If someone was to make you a pan of brownies and, and, and they give it to you and they're fresh and uh, I'm going to use Miss Kim's uh, peanut butter, what do you call them? Crispy bars. Okay, it's, a, it's an illegal drug. Crispy bars, I mean, they are mm, amazing. If she handed me a pan of those and said, okay, here, here you go. Um, here's my, my famous crispy bars. Um, and she said, now, just so you know, I put one tiny little drop of cyanide poisoning in these. But it's just one tiny little drop. I'd be like, okay. <laughs> it's a risk I'm willing to take. <laughs> no, you know, I'd be, I'd be crazy to do that. 
And yet a lot of Christians think one little drop of, of pollution in my life is not very much. And one little drop of defilement is okay. I can, everything else is clean except this one area in my life. But I'm telling you, one drop of poison is poisonous. And one drop of pollution, one drop of defilement, it affects our whole life. And where are the Christians that are saying, I will take a stand for holiness. I will purpose in my life that I will stand for holiness, that I will stand for purity. I mean, we live in a culture that's so impure and so unholy and it's so stained. And I just wonder, we make commitments to, to witness and we make commitments to give and commitments to do this and to do that. But we need a, a group, a church that says, I am willing to take a stand for holiness in a culture that's trying to mold me to look just like it looks. I know it's hard to take stands. Imagine what Daniel went through. Oh, you're so pure, you goody two-shoes. You're not in Jerusalem anymore, Daniel. The rules don't apply to us anymore. You're not expected to be holy by these people. They don't care. Listen, Daniel, don't you understand? There will be a price to pay if you refuse the king's food and drink. Daniel, a little compromise. It's just a little compromise in this one area, and it won't be a big deal. Now, Daniel, if you, do, if you don't do this, then you'll never get in good with the prince of the eunuchs. But Daniel clearly made a decision, and he said right and wrong aren't flexible. Right and wrong are not debatable. Holiness is not conformable to the moment. It's not conformable to the culture. No, he's not doing what he did because of the culture. He's not doing what he's doing because of the people around him. No, he is only and primarily concerned about pleasing his God. And here's a young man who's willing to take a strong stand because he's mostly concerned about pleasing the Lord. And that really, if that is your motivation, boy, that'll change. That'll make a lot of decisions for you. Here's Daniel's thought process. It's possible that the food didn't meet the requirements of Mosaic law. It's possible that the food wasn't kosher, if you want to say it that way. It likely wasn't prepared to their Jewish regulations. It may have been from forbidden animals. The meat and the wine both would have likely been dedicated uh, to idols or given as sacrifices or offerings. If nothing else, we know for Daniel this was a matter of conscience. And that's honestly enough. If it's a matter of conscience for you, don't be, don't be hesitant and don't be bashful about taking a stand for holiness. That's okay. I'm not saying it would have been easy, though. They were being tempted with something appealing. Like I said, I used Texas Roadhouse on Wednesday. I'll use Carnival tonight. You know, and, and some of you, this is what you do, but it's like going to Carnival and and maybe you're on a diet and you only eat the vegetables. It's just like going to Carnival and don't, only eat the salad bar. And I'm telling you, having to say no every time they bring out that meat, that would be hard. And not only that, you know, they were making the other Jewish captives look bad. Have you ever noticed that when you try to take a stand for holiness and the, the people around you suddenly are mad at you? When you're trying to do right and your friends, teenagers understand this, you, try, you start trying to do right and your friends aren't necessarily along with you in doing right, they're going to be mad at you. They're not going to like that you're taking a stand and you say, well, they're going to call you names and, and maybe they're going to make fun of you and you think, well, maybe I'm not doing right. No, just keep doing what you're doing because that's called conviction. Because your life is convicting them. It's making them, them feel like maybe they should take a step up. And so here's Daniel and his friends. They're making everybody else look bad. Not to mention they were risking their lives by forsaking the king's diet. But none of that mattered more to Daniel than pleasing the Lord. He'd already seen what compromise could do. Think about it. He'd already seen what happens when you compromise. Oh, you get taken into captivity. What happens when you, when you forsake the laws that God gave you, then, oh, you get taken to Babylon? What happens when you decide that the culture around you is more important than the God above you? Oh, you, be, you get taken to Babylon for 70 years and you never see your parents again. 
See, that's what was on Daniel's mind. He knows what compromise does. The previous generation had gone after idols. And Daniel and his generation had to deal with the fallout. Notice that, like we talked about Wednesday, Daniel approaches this situation. He makes a request before he makes demands. He's humble, he's curious in verse 9. I'm sorry, he's courteous in verse 9. It says, now God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. That just means goodwill and compassion. God gave the prince of eunuchs affection and sympathy for Daniel. And I believe, and, I, and, and we, there's, no, there's no proof of this, but I think the connection is there. I believe that da God did, granted Daniel favor because he knew the kind of character that Daniel had. I, knew, I believe that God granted him favor because he knew that Daniel would not waste the opportunities that he had like everybody else would have wasted them. He, sometimes it seems like we never get a break. You know, sometimes it seems like, well, you know, they have all of this and they have all of that and they get this opportunity and I'm just over here. Well, it may be because we've not proven ourselves in the small ways enough for God to trust us in the big ways yet. And I'm not saying it's always like that, but I am telling you, if I don't feel like God is blessing me or God's favor is on me or if I feel like everything's a struggle, the first thing I do is not go look at everybody else and say, that's not fair, why do they have that? No, the first thing all of us ought to do is look inward and make sure upon self-examination that we're not the reason God can't bless my, myself. That I'm not the reason that God is not showing me favor because for some reason maybe I haven't been doing right in the small ways. God knew Daniel would make the most of the opportunity. If you want favor with the people that you surround yourself with, do right in the small ways. And God can turn your small decisions into favor and goodwill. Don't demand favor. Let God grant you favor by simply doing right. You know, don't go around and try to, you know, kiss up to the boss and, and, you know, and try to do extra things. That will not grant you favor with the people around you. As a matter of fact, that will look bad on Jesus Christ and your testimony as a Christian if people know that you're playing a game in order to earn favor with somebody. No, you just simply do right and do it with a right humble spirit and let God take care of the promotion part. Verse 10. And the prince of the eunuchs said unto Daniel, I fear my lord the king who hath appointed your meat and your drink. For why should he see your faces worse liking than the children which are of your sort? Then shall ye make me endanger my head to the king. And now Ashpenaz is not lying when he said, I fear the king. He knew his head was at risk if these young men go and start eating other things and then they show up before the king and they look pale and they look thin and they look weak. Then questions would start being asked and you know who'd be in trouble was Ashpenaz. Ashpenaz says, listen, you have favor, I have sympathy, I understand your situation. Uh, and, and I love the way that we see the back and forth um, because it, this is a proving this is proving that Daniel had favor because Ashpenaz could have just said, get out of my face, little kid. But the fact that he talked to Daniel, had, a, had a, um, a, an explanation for Daniel, that's a sign of respect. That he was willing to have the conversation, but it didn't really go anywhere. So look what Daniel says in verse, uh, verse 11. Then said Daniel to Melzar, whom the prince of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So this is not the prince of the eunuchs. This is another person, the uh, guard or, or a warden, you might say, underneath Ashpenaz. And Daniel goes to him and says, Prove thy servants, I beseech thee ten days, and let them give us pulse to eat and water to drink. So Daniel, he's not bypassing authority. Um, he, he, Ashpenaz just says, I'm not the guy to do this. So Daniel then goes to Melzar, and, and some say that's just a, a generic name for the warden that was over them, and, and we don't know for sure, but he doesn't go asking for the same thing. Notice that. See, at first, he said, can we just take the meat and the wine off of our diet because and, and, I don't want to defile myself with that stuff. Well, now he goes to Melzar and he has a different plan. See, for, at first he said, can we switch, basically switch permanently from the, the meat and wine because we don't want to defile ourselves. But now he comes with a 10-day plan. 
And it's, I mean, at least that's what we're told. We're not told um, that he came up with this plan to the prince of the eunuchs, but he goes to Melzar and says, for 10 days, let us eat our diet. And, and 10 days is all we're asking. 10 days, that's pretty reasonable. It won't risk anybody's life, but it's long enough to produce results. And he says, let us eat pulse and drink water. Pulse simply means vegetables, grains, plants. It meant a vegetarian diet. And so then, verse 13, then let our countenances be looked upon before thee in the countenance of the children that eat of the portion of the king's meat. And as thou seest, deal with thy servants. I, I love that Daniel is willing to put God's word to the test. You know, sometimes I think, you know, well, you know, I, I just don't see how this is going to make sense. I don't see how this is going to work. And so, you know, faith is not, uh, faith is not just sitting back and waiting for God to do something in our lives. No, faith is saying, God, here is your word. I take you at your word. I put you to the test. You said you'll bless. You'll said you, you said you'll do this. I will obey your word and believe what you say about the results. Sometimes we think that faith is just sitting back and letting it happen. But no, here we have an example of Daniel who's willing to put God's word to the test. He believed that God's rules for eating had to be better for him than Babylon. He believed that God's diet had to be better than Babylon's. When you believe God's word is true, you can have confidence that he won't let you down. You can put his word to the test. Daniel didn't know how it's going to turn out. That's a bold move, isn't it? And it doesn't make much sense. I mean, meat and wine, that would typically cause someone to gain more weight than vegetables and grains. The Babylonians clearly valued those that were fairer and fatter in flesh. That's what they were looking for. Was this risky then? Well, yeah. Look at verse 14. So that he consented to them in this matter and proved them 10 days. The warden agrees. Can you imagine the conversation when Daniel got home to his friends? Hey guys, guess what? I talked to the warden and he agreed to my plan. No carnival tonight, boys. Crisp and green for 10 days. I'd be like, what? Verse 15, and at the end of 10 days, their countenances appeared fairer and fatter in flesh than all the children which did eat of the portion of the king's meat. It worked. Verse 16, thus Melzar took away the portion of their meat and the wine that they should drink and gave them poles. Now imagine the conversation with the whole group. It's like, guys, guess what? We all get to eat at crisp and green indefinitely. No more carnival for us. It's like, Daniel, can we, Daniel, close the door. We need to talk. Okay, you know, I know this doesn't sound, it doesn't maybe sound appealing. It, it sounds hard. That, that would be hard if you're used to a certain diet and you have to change everything. But here's the principle tonight. To take a stand in a daily difficult environment. It's going to take daily determined effort. To take a stand in a daily difficult environment it's going to take daily determined effort listen you don't just accidentally take a stand which and that's why the parallels to a christian stand in the workplace are so striking think about these daniel was a foreigner employed in a hostile environment so think about your workplace. Daniel was a foreigner employed in a hostile environment. And Christians, you know, we think, well, we're not foreigners. I, well, we have a different citizenship. We, we are, we're not foreigners necessarily by nationality. But we are, we are strangers when it comes to our citizenship. Our citizenship is in heaven. And most Christians do not work in an environment friendly to Jesus Christ. And if you do, praise the Lord, be thankful. But for some of you, it probably feels like you're a stranger in a foreign land. And you say, well, you know, I work from home or, or this or that. But if you've ever worked a job, if you've ever been in a situation where you're around people that don't believe like you, I'm telling you, if you're trying to be a Christian, it doesn't take much to feel like you're all alone. Daniel worked under some of the most wicked men in history. Not just bad, I'm talking as bad as it gets. 
in many workplaces are not just inhabited or there's not just employees there that live by these wicked values. Many places are led by those with wicked values. Few of Daniel's peers shared his values. You know, most Christians are essentially alone in the workplace when it comes to shared values. Uh, and if you say, well, no, I, I, don't, I fit just right in. You, may need, to, uh, you may, may need to examine the level of stand that you're taking as a Christian. I mean, independent Baptists even, let's take this further. Independent Baptists are even more alone because a lot or, or much of modern Christianity is fairly uncommitted when it comes to a life that is, that, that is lived on a different level than the culture around them. I'm not trying to bash anybody else. I'm just saying, I like to think that we have a fairly committed church, people that are fairly committed to Jesus Christ. But listen, the, the, the fact that you're at church on a Sunday night, that puts you in the great minority. The fact that you come to church and many of you will be here on Wednesday night. I mean, that puts you even in even a smaller category of people. Uh, and, and I mean, think about it. All the ways that you are trying to stand and do right and, and make right decisions, it puts you at odds with the people around you. Listen, not drinking, not drinking alcohol will cause you to have very few that share your values even among those that profess to be Christians in this culture. It's almost become acceptable or it's almost become justified, you know, that drinking or social drinking is okay. And I'm just telling you, if you read your Bible and you try to honestly say, what is the wisest thing for me to do, then you can't find places in the Bible that justify or encourage the drinking. And, we, and if you say in your workplace or in your friend group or in your school or in the people that you're around on a daily basis, if, if you're the one that, I'm just telling you, I know how it is it's getting, if you're the one that doesn't drink, there will be a whole lot that in, the other, in the other group that say they're Christians. And, and they'll be saying, well, why don't you? What's the problem? It's just social drinking. We're not drinking to get drunk. There's a lot more at stake. I'm not going to even go into all of that. But your testimony and the wisdom and who's controlling you, there's a lot of things there at play. And I'm just telling you, if you make a small decision, to me it's a big decision, but if you make a big decision like not drinking, you're going to find yourself in the minority at your workplace. Not swearing. Not using bad language. It'll put you in the minority, even among professing Christians. Teenagers, I mean, we go through some phases where I hear things, you know, that kids around the youth group might even be saying, and listen, it, just because one kid in the youth group does it, doesn't make it right, and it certainly does not mean they're cool. And if you'll take a stand right now in those little things, I'm telling you, when you get, like Daniel, when you get to be older and you're in a workplace where that's just the norm, you've already established a pattern in your life that says, no, I'm not going to do that just because everybody else does it. You know, uh, these are, you say, well, these are really nitpicky, small decisions. I'm telling you, Daniel was literally choosing to eat vegetables instead of meat. So before we think that Daniel was taking this big, bold stand and shouting it from the rooftops, no, he's making, really, a, it's a fairly small decision in the grand scheme of things, but God blessed it and gave him really great opportunities because of it. You know, not telling the dirty jokes or laughing at them, that'll, that'll make you stand out. Not talking bad about the boss, especially if it's undercover boss, be careful. Not being critical of everybody. Not, not getting involved in the water, the water cooler gossip. Not having a bad attitude about everything that gets, that gets emailed out or when a memo comes and everyone's just mad and talking about it. No, listen, you will stand out just by not getting involved in those things. Daniel was in a high profile position later on and he was watched very closely because of it. Here's another parallel. You ever feel like people are just watching you because they know you're a Christian? Yeah, if you've ever been in that environment, then you know if you're a Christian and people know you're in a fishbowl. If you claim to be different or are different, people are watching. 
how you speak about other people, they're going to take note of that. Your response to the drama in the office, they're going to pay attention to that. How you treat those below you, they're going to watch those things. I mean, tell, there are parallels and parallels and parallels. Uh, I'm thankful Brother Mark Ledoux was talking about how he works at Baumgars and, and how why somebody asked him, why do you help everybody? And he said, well, you know, that's my calling. That's, that's what I do. I mean, a long time in the ministry, Brother Ledoux, and, and just because now he's working at Baumgars instead of preaching behind the pulpit, like Daniel, nothing has changed for him. He's still who he is. He's just applying it differently on a daily basis. And I'm telling you, people are going to notice those kind of traits. They're going to watch and they're going to see that, that, that you are doing things in a different way and, and they may make fun of you or they may say things about you. But I'm telling you, when they need somebody to talk to, when they're in their darkest moments, they're not going to go to the person at the water cooler who talks just like they do. They're going to come find you in your cubicle and they're going to say, I need some real help. I need somebody who's different than everybody else. Can I please talk to you about this? More parallels. Daniel was persecuted for his faith. He was singled out and, and they attempted to destroy him. And Daniel eventually got to the top, but it wasn't without challenges. You know, conflict was a normal part of his experience. He paid a price for his success. And I'm telling you, if you want to take a stand for Christ, get ready to be treated unfairly. Don't expect it to have, easier, have it easier than Daniel. Let's take it a step further. Don't expect it to have it, to have it easier than Jesus Christ. He never did anything wrong, and he was treated extremely unfairly. Another parallel, Daniel never allowed difficulties to affect his job performance. Isn't it amazing how when things are hard or drama is big or things aren't going real well, how some people just kind of check out and say, you know, well, I have an excuse not to work hard. Daniel never did that. He never used excuses. He did what he was asked without compromise. He didn't talk bad about the king. He didn't rip his co-workers. He stepped up when the king had a dream later on and he needed somebody to tell him, did, did the king deserve that from Daniel? No, but he didn't let the difficulties affect his job performance. I mean, Daniel, and I think maybe even above all of these, Daniel had a humble, gracious spirit. He requested not to eat the meat. He deferred to the prince of the eunuchs. He wasn't harsh. He wasn't demanding. Even when he was treated terribly and unfairly, he simply submitted to the Lord. Remember, Daniel's purpose, or original purposing, was him essentially saying, Father, I'll put your word to the test. And the Lord took care of Daniel time and time again. So there's so many parallels. You can't walk away from situations that are hard. You're obligated to work. You've got to pay your bills. You, you've got to eat. You have to pay your rent or your mortgage. You're obligated to work. But here's the thing. Here's the hard truth. The Lord's not obligated to make it easy. If you stand for God, it'll be hard. You're going to be treated unfairly. You might be talked about. And I'm not just, I mean, yeah, this is the workplace, but it could be in the, at school. It could be in the youth group. It could be in a relationship. It could be in the people that you're daily around. I'm talking, like there, this could apply in many settings, in many situations. You are obligated to be in the position that you're in and do what you're doing. The Lord is not obligated to make it easy. And if you have some, but if, especially if you have an unbending commitment to Jesus Christ, it will not be easy. But listen, God didn't make it easy for his own son. And before you and I think this is just so unfair, is the servant greater than his master? Well, no. I mean, you're obligated to work. The Lord's not obligated to make it easy, but here's a good truth. The Lord does obligate himself to give us grace. He does promise us grace if we are committed to his purposes and we maintain a humble spirit. He will sustain us with his grace. The Lord's always done things this way. He doesn't remove his people from difficulty. He gives them the grace to make it through. He gave grace to Noah, who didn't ask for the situation he was in. He gave, he gave help and grace to David when he's chased by, around the countryside by King Saul. That's not something he could change. He just had to go through it. 
He gave Job grace during the most difficult trial any person has ever faced. He showed grace to Israel in the wilderness. He gave the disciples comfort as they fearfully crossed the stormy seas. Folks, he promises never to leave us or forsake us. And if the Lord has called you to a hostile environment, be as humble and diligent as you possibly can be. Be as loyal to your, as you can be to your employer. Refuse to be critical about somebody else in your company. Be a team player that gets along with others to a fault. And I'm just telling you this, if we believe God's word, God will bless you in the long run. But you must purpose in your heart to please the Lord first. Daniel rose in Babylon because God blessed his desire to stand for God. It wasn't always easy, but it was worth it. So my questions tonight, I know it's specific, but how's your attitude about your workplace right now? How's your attitude about your school? How's your attitude about the people that you find yourself with every day, your daily situation, maybe even in a tough relationship? How's your attitude about it? How's your spirit been toward your coworkers? Have you been tempted to compromise maybe or make things, make, take some steps to make things easier on yourself? In what ways can you reveal that you belong to Christ that you have been hiding to this point? Has your time and your employment been above reproach? There's a lot of questions we could ask. You might say, well, you don't understand how hard it is. Could it be harder than what Daniel faced? Removed from his parents, taken to a foreign country. I'm not diminishing and I'm not saying that your situation isn't hard. I think it probably is hard. But if God's grace was enough for Daniel... And his grace isn't enough for you. You say, well, taking a stand, it'll ruin my chances for promotion. No, Daniel's stand actually led to his promotion. If you'll put God first, I'm telling you, just put God's word to the test. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, Matthew 6, and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Does that mean you'll be rich beyond your wildest dreams? No. But I do believe that God's blessings are more valuable than a promotion at work that you get because you cut some corners. You, you might even say, well, you, um, you don't know how difficult it is for me to stand alone. It's just not my personality. I'm telling you, it's not easy for any personality to stand alone. None of us have it in us to just say, you know what? I want to be the only one always. No, there's something in us that wants to fit in. You're just going to have to decide who you live for. And if God, living for God, is bigger than your personality, listen, your ability to make a difference in your workplace or in your school or wherever it is, is dependent on the strength of your commitment to stand for Jesus Christ. To take a stand in a daily difficult environment, it's going to take daily determined effort. To take a stand in a daily difficult environment, it's going to take daily determined effort you know what you're gonna to have to wake up every morning and decide again you're gonna get tired you might even fail I remember one time when I was in college I, I came from the back I was working at a warehouse and I came from the back up to where there was a bunch of the guys and they knew I was a Christian you know I was a college student had lots of zeal and probably was uh, a little annoying about it at times. Come up there and one of the men made a, a, a raunchy statement or joke. And I was all caught off guard and I laughed. I failed. In that moment, man, I felt about that small. And I went back to the back and I just asked the Lord, God, please give me grace to never let that happen again. And you know what, God, he didn't say, okay, I want you to cut your left fingers off. No, he, he knows there, there will be times when you have the best intentions and you fail. And in that moment, don't say, it's done. I've defiled myself, I'll never be right again. No, we, have a God of, we serve a God of second chances. 
who forgives and he understands and he gives us grace. And if his grace is enough to sustain us in those tough situations, and his grace is also greater than our sin. So just humble yourself before God and if you mess up or you blow it or you mess up your testimony or you say something you shouldn't say, I'm not saying that it will come back just like that. But if you'll the next day wake up and say, no, I'm going to determine today is going to be different and with God's help, I'm going to stand strong as a Christian in my workplace. You do that enough days in a row and the folks that saw you in your weak moment will someday forget about it and they'll say, well, no, really the normal is for him to be like this, not like that one time. But you just have to decide you're going to be tired, you're going, you're going to give up. Sometimes you might even fail. No, you've just got to get up and do it again the next day and get up and do it again the next day. And you say, why should I? Because if we believe that God is his provision and sovereignty, that it's a real thing, then you have to believe you are a steward of your time in that workplace and those souls. And it may be that you are the one hope they have to ever hear the gospel. That's why it matters. Because you have one sliver of time, you have one life, and you have a short amount of time around those people every single day. And their souls may be dependent on your willingness to take a stand in a daily difficult environment. That you say, I will have daily determined effort. This was Daniel's approach. And if he did it in his environment, can I encourage you with this? You can do it in yours. You're obligated to work. The Lord's not obligated to make it easy. But if you'll humbly purpose with daily determined effort, God will provide daily sustaining grace. I believe Eastside, God has big plans for our church in a lot of ways. But you know where probably most of our contacts, most of the people we reach, you know where they're going to come from? The vast majority of people that get reached through a church don't come from a flyer on a door. They don't come from a Facebook post inviting people. Most situations where somebody comes, the vast majority are through personal contact. A personal relationship. And I would submit that most people in this room tonight are here because of a personal relationship. A personal contact. And I'm just telling you, you were a steward in this point in time in history of your workplace. And if you want to leave a mark, an eternally lasting mark, then you've got to decide, I'm going to make a daily determined effort to stand in a daily difficult environment. Listen, you have one shot. Will you take it seriously as a steward of the opportunity God has given you? Who knows what he might turn your effort into like he did for Daniel. You'd be willing to take a stand at your workplace. I'm telling you, who knows what God may turn that into. This is an opportunity. Don't miss it. Let's stand together. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Let's take an opportunity to respond tonight to the preaching, to the word. And if God's prompting you about the stands that you should be taking, either at work or at school or in whatever situation you're in, I'm telling you, just a daily decision, daily determined effort in a daily difficult environment. That's the difference. Listen, that is the difference that can be made if someone will simply decide, I'm going to purpose and I'm going to stand. Would you be willing to stand?